So today I'm going to tell you that story. And it's a fascinating story. We hear a lot about, and I've told you already about the destruction of the, of the second temple. Both temples, both the first and second temple, were both destroyed on the 9th of Av. Same day, 9th of Av, 490 years apart from each other. And, uh, but they were both, both destroyed on the same day. We have a lot of description with regard to the destruction of the second temple. We have a whole book um, called The War of the Jews by Josephus, which um, <coughs> speaks about it in great detail from a Roman perspective. We have pages in the Talmud and many pages in Midrash that speak about it in great detail. We have many keynotes, many poems that were written about the destruction of the Second Temple. So we have quite a lot of information about the destruction of the Second Temple. We also have very vivid descriptions of what the Second Temple looked like. And we did a three-part course over the summer where we spoke about, where we showed you what the Second Temple looked like. We have very, very detailed descriptions. Um, now, the First Temple, we have some description of what the First Temple looked like. We know it lasted for 410 years. Um, we don't, we, we have also a quite a detailed description, not as detailed as the second temple, remember it's going back much further. No, we have some detailed description of the destruction of the first temple as well. Um, it's, this is all found in scripture, in the book of, books of Tanakh. We're going to do a class on the books of Tanakh. That's one of our classes to come. I know, I promised that already. So we're going to, it's found first in the book of Kings, the end of the book of Kings speaks about the destruction of the temple, as well as the book of Chronicles. There's another book of our scripture that speaks about the um, destruction of the temple. And the book of Jeremiah is essentially entirely about the destruction of the temple. And there's also um, Ezekiel describes, Ezekiel was not in Jerusalem during the destruction. Jeremiah witnesses the destruction. He, according to our tradition, Jeremiah is the author of the book of Kings, as well as the book of Jeremiah, of course, where he describes the destruction as he saw it. Ezekiel is in Babylon at that time, but he talks about what he heard from a distance about the destruction of the temple. So we have quite, um, quite a bit of information about the destruction. Now first, a little history. I'll give you a little background, a little history, and uh, what happened and how it happened. So the temple in Jerusalem, the first temple, was built by King... Uh, the first temple in Jerusalem was built by King... Um, uh, Solomon in um, in um, 29 sorry 2928 um, of the our Jewish calendar we're now in 5777 so 2928 or um, about 2800 years ago almost 2800 years ago King Solomon built the first temple in Jerusalem um, now the, uh, the temple, uh, that would be the equivalent of um, 831 BC. Uh, now, I've mentioned this before, and I know Harry um, has looked into this a little bit. Um, our counting, as we're going to see, is very different to what you will, or is somewhat different um, to what you will learn in, um, if you open any modern books that will talk about either the destruction of the building of Jerusalem, destruction of Jerusalem, Babylonian, and the Syrian empires. And the reason for that is because of a, um, there, is a, um, there is a historical riddle known as the missing 165 years, and um, where there's a discrepancy between 
Greek historical records and Jewish historical records, which are the only two cultures that kept records going back that far. And um, there's a 165-year discrepancy between the two records. For whatever reason, uh, modern historians adapt the Greek um, version um, over the Jewish version. Uh, whether they should or they shouldn't is hotly debated. But uh, we will take the Jewish version for our files. So, uh, so, so anyway, so King Solomon, um, this is, we're going back to 831 BC again. Um, the King Solomon builds the first temple in Jerusalem. At, after King Solomon's death, some 25, 28 years later, after King Solomon's death, um, the kingdom of Israel splits in two. The kingdom that Saul, David, Solomon had led now splits into two different kingdoms. A southern kingdom called Judea, or Yehuda, that is led by Solomon's son, Rehoboam. A northern kingdom, that in the southern kingdom is two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. A northern kingdom that includes the other ten tribes that is led by a leader from the tribe, uh, a fellow from the tribe of Ephraim called Yeravam or Jeroboam. So the kingdom is split in two. The northern kingdom is called Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah or Judea. And there's now two different kingdoms. Why were they split? Because Rehavam, this is really true, it says in the Book of Kings, Rehavam refused to lower taxes. It was the first tax revolt. <laughs> so the same reason we gained independence in this country. And it was over taxes ultimately. So, so, um, so anyway, the kingdom was split. There were for hundreds of years, for um, almost 300 years, there was a split kingdom. A kingdom split between a northern kingdom that originally had its capital in Shechem and Samaria, uh, sorry, in um, Shechem, and then later moved the capital to Shomron or Samaria, which is not far from Shechem. And in central Israel, northern Israel, and the southern kingdom that was centered in Jerusalem, where the temple was, and uh, led by the dynasty of King David. The northern kingdom was very unstable and had kings um, that essentially generals killed the last king and became king continuously for a couple hundred years. It was very violent and unstable. Now, the northern tribes, especially the northern kings, were mostly bad, and uh, God had enough at a certain point, and the, ten, and the northern kingdom is captured by the Assyrians. In, this is going back to 3205 of our Jewish counting, which would be the equivalent of 554 BC. Um, so at this point, the Assyrians have built what could be termed as the first empire um, in the Middle East. They have built an empire before that, before the Assyrian Empire, which, according to our traditions at least, began in the, um, in the 6th or even 7th centuries BCE. Um, the Middle East was essentially the Middle East, which is um, known often as the Fertile Crescent. It's an area that, um, includes, that included Iran, but then went all the way up the Euphrates and Tigris River, from the Persian Gulf up the Euphrates and Tigris Rivers, and then down the eastern coast of the Mediterranean, known as, the, which is called in French, the Levant is the term for it. And, um, and then moved down to Egypt along the Nile River. So that was kind of the civilized world at the time. And it was made up of lots and lots of little tribes. 
lots and lots of little kingdoms. Uh, and with time, some of them, those kingdoms grew. David had a sizable kingdom that covered the, the entire Levant, or the entire eastern coast of the Mediterranean, all the way up to northern Syria. Um, later, Syria itself became a nation known as Aram, um, became a united nation as Aram, roughly along where modern Syria is today. But in the um, 6th and 7th centuries BCE, the Assyrians managed, who were based in Nineveh, Nineveh still exists today, it's up on the Tigris River in northern Iraq today, and um, the Assyrians based in Nineveh captured a large, the entire, what's called Mesopotamia, the um, area of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, and they captured Aram, which is modern-day Syria, and um, they captured Sur, Tyre, which is modern-day Lebanon, and uh, they moved eastward, covering much of Iran all the way down to um, India, and they created an empire, a sizable empire. And so in um, 3205 or 554, Tiglas Pileser, who is a, the Assyrian emperor, he captures the northern kingdom, um, led at the time by a king called Hoshea ben Ela, and uh, he exiles the ten tribes. What happened to the ten tribes? That's a subject for another class. You may have heard of the ten lost tribes. Are they really lost? Are they not lost? We don't know. Anyway, um, Tigla, uh, the Assyrians continue their conquest, <coughs> and some, and they continue they continue their way down to Judea, which is the southern half of Israel, uh, which at the time is led by the Judean king King Chizkiyahu, and the uh, meanwhile there's a new Assyrian emperor. His name is Sancherev, and Sancherev, their ultimate goal is to capture Egypt. Egypt was a very big country at the time, um, but um, Israel or, Ju or Judah at the time blocked the Assyrian empires and the Egyptian empires from actually clashing. So, um, so Sancherev captures most of Judah and besieges Jerusalem, and in 3213 or 546 BCE, according to our counting, Sancherev's army in one night fall at the gates of Jerusalem. They just all died in one night, 185,000 officers. The story is told in um, scripture twice, uh, sorry, three times it's told in scripture, and um, in, uh, in three different books in scripture it tells the same story. We've also found it in um, Assyrian records and other records, um, this similar <coughs> accounts of the same story of Sancherev's mighty army falling at the gates of Jerusalem. So King Chizkiyahu, who's a righteous king and who had the um, and who had listened to the prophecies of Isaiah Yeshayahu um, about um, repentance and change, having making sure that people change their ways, and they did, and they were righteous, and so Judah is spared. They're spared conqu the conquest of the Assyrians. And um, Chizkiyahu not only um, saves Jerusalem, but he now extends his kingdom not just over Judea, but he captures all of northern Israel, creating once again a united kingdom, being the first king over all of Israel since the days of King Solomon, um, almost 200 years earlier. So... The Assyrian Empire, though, continues despite their fall at Jerusalem. 
uh, the Assyrian Empire continues. The Assyrians themselves had a, because the, the way they managed to create an empire, um, there was not, this is before the days of good roads and good communications that the Persians were the first ones to create. So the way the Assyrians made every, subjugated everybody was all the different tribes and little countries that they found, they would move them around. And then move them around so that people, everyone assimilated into a single Assyrian culture, the language, the language of the Assyrian, um, the language of the Assyrian um, Empire was Aramaic, which became the language of the Middle East until the Muslim conquest in the 600s. So it was the language of the Middle East for more than 1,200 years, um, thanks to an Assyrian assimilation attempt. And the reason why they moved the 12 tribe, the 10 tribes of the of Northern Kingdom out was part of that plan of moving, moving everybody around <coughs> and getting everybody, getting all the different tribes to assimilate into a single Assyrian nation. And so the Assyrians, however, um, left some of the larger tribes or kingdoms intact and had their king, especially in Mesopotamia, and had those kings paying tribute to them. Now, um, with time, with time, the Assyrian Empire slowly begins to lose its power, and um, some of the local kings in within Mesopotamia begin to agitate for independence. Now, meanwhile, as Assyria is so now in Judah itself, which is the new name for Israel, because the Southern Kingdom, which is called Judah, was now expanded to all of Israel. In Judah, or Judea, as later the Romans called it, um, in Judea itself, Chizkiel was a very righteous king, got everybody to do the right thing, got everybody to follow God's laws and God's rules, um, got rid of idol worship. But then his son, Menashe, and his grandson, Amon, who became king after them, were both very wicked, were both very evil. Menashe was a mass murderer, um, encouraged idol worship. So did Amon. Both of them were extremely evil. And the prophets... Uh, particularly the prophet Jeremiah warned them of um, warned that warned the people of the destruction that will come if they do not follow in God's ways. <coughs> Excuse me. Following the um, following the death of Ammon, Chizkiyahu's great grandson's name was King Yoshiyahu, or in English, Josiah. King Yoshiyahu became king at a very young age. His father was killed because people hated him so much. And uh, he was a very, very righteous man. And he actually went on a big campaign to try to change. Uh, ch uh, first he began, let me tell the whole story. First he decided to renovate the temple. Now the temple had not been renovated for 200 years. And not been refurbished for 200 years since the days of King Yoash. And so he decided to refurbish the temple. And they went, especially since... In the days of his father and his grandfather, they had brought idols into the temple and they had desecrated the temple. So he decided he was going to refurbish the whole temple. And he had the whole temple refurbished. And as they were refurbishing the temple, they found a Torah scroll that was hidden. Now, this hidden Torah scroll, this hidden Torah scroll was very unique because it was the original Torah scroll written by Moses. Today, we all have lots of Torah scrolls. Um, the original one was written by Moses before he died and was given to the people to copy. Now they kept that Torah scroll through all the years. They always held on to that Torah scroll 
it sat inside the Ark of the Covenant, which was a box that sat in the Holy of Holies in the temple. And they would take it out every once in a while to use to edit other Torahs. If, you ever, if there was ever a discrepancy between different Torah scrolls, you could always go back to the original and see what the original said. So they always kept that original, they always retained it, and they always made sure it stayed perfect. However, however, in the days of um, King, Chis of King Yoshiahu's great-grandfather, King Ahaz, was a wicked king, and he had introduced idol worship to the land of Israel, um, and this is the one before his great-great-grandfather, Ahaz, he had introduced idol worship to the land of Israel, and he also went on this campaign to get rid of Jewish practice, and part of what he did was he burned Torah scrolls. So when he found Torah scrolls, he burned them. So most Jews hid their Torah scrolls. This is a Jewish king. Most Jews hid their Torah scrolls. And of course, the important Torah scrolls in the temple were hidden as well. Most importantly, Moses' Torah scroll was hidden. They didn't know where it was hidden. Even after Ahaz's death, they never found the Torah scroll. In the refurbishing, almost 100 years later, in the days of King Yoshiyahu, they found this Torah scroll. So they find this Torah scroll, they open up the Torah scroll, and it's open to the very, very, toward the very, the, one of the last portions of the Torah scroll, the portion of Nitzavim, where it says, if you do not follow the words of this Torah, you will be exiled from your land, and the land will be destroyed. That was the first thing they read when they opened it up. So they got very scared. So they went to, there was a prophetess at the time, whose name was Chulda. They went to Chulda, and they asked Chulda, what does this mean? And she said, God says that he will destroy, because of the sins of the people, God is going to destroy Israel, destroy Judah, destroy, and everyone's going to be exiled and destroy the temple because Yoshiahu, or Josiah, is a righteous king. It's not going to happen in his days. It's going to happen after his death. And so, um, <coughs> Yoshiahu continues to reign for many years, good years in Israel, However, in 3316, or 443 BCE, more than 2400 years ago, um, 44 BCE, according to our counting, um, the Assyrian Empire is going through a very weak phase, struggling. And so the king of Egypt decides that it's time to finally deal a death blow to the Assyrian Empire. And so the king of Egypt whose name is Paro Pharaoh, Pharaoh Necho, Necho or Necho, it means the lame, Pharaoh the lame. Um, apparently he was lame. And so um, Pharaoh Necho, or Necho, um, who had historically been allied with Judea and allied with King Josiah, remember that Judea always, from the days of Hiskiah, was allied against the Assyrians. They were a threat to them with the Egyptians, and they were essentially serving as a buffer between Assyria and Egypt. So he tells King Yoshio, I'm going on a campaign attacking the Assyrian Empire. I think we have a good chance against them now. Um, join me on this campaign. King Yoshio says, absolutely not. Not only that, I will not let the Egyptian army pass through Judea. Why not? He was afraid. Once they come, they don't leave. Right? It's like American troops. Once they come into a country, they don't leave. So, so he was afraid. He didn't want to take any chances. Turned out to be a very bad decision. Um, 
Paro Nechol, Pharaoh Nechol decides he's going anyway, even without Judea's permission. And so um, Yoshio goes out to battle to try to block the Egyptians from crossing into Judea. They meet at Megiddo, um, and, and uh, the armies meet, and um, the, Judea, Ju the Judean army is badly beaten on the battlefield. Yoshiyahu himself is killed in battle. The king himself is killed in battle, and Paronacho, Pharaoh Necho, captures Israel, Ju or Judea. That was the end of Jewish independence after um, almost 800 years of continuous Jewish independence from the days of, uh, from the days of Joshua. Um, Jewish independence is ended at this point, um, and now it becomes essentially a vassal state to Egypt. Pharaoh goes on with his campaign against Assyria, which is not all that successful. Um, meanwhile, King Yoshiao has died, and so um, King Yoshiao has died, and um, the, the Jews in Israel, in Judea, they um, make his son, Yehoahaz, they declare him as king. Pharaoh Necho, coming back from a bad campaign against Assyria, comes back to Jerusalem, discovers that Yoshiao's son was declared king, Yehoahaz was declared, declared king. He's upset about that. They didn't consult him, and he has Yehoahaz killed, and he has his brother, Yehoiakim, another son of, um, of Yoshiao. He definitely understood that Jews would never at this point take a king who was not from the house of David. So he has his brother. He installs him as king Yehoiachas. Uh, sorry, he kills Yehoiachas and makes Yehoiakim king. Now, at this point, the Assyrian Empire is teetering or falling. And so one of the vassal kings within the Assyrian Empire whose name is Nebuchadnezzar. He's a king of, he's a Chaldean. The Chaldeans were a um, small, um, were a tribe that lived in, um, also in northern Iraq, not far from Assyria. And he was a Chaldean, Chaldean king, vassal king under King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, under, um, the, in the Assyrian Empire. And he raises an army, gets other um, kings and other tribes in Mesopotamia to join him, and they attack Nineveh. And in 3319 of the Jewish counting of 440 BC, according to our traditions, Nebuchadnezzar captures Nineveh, making himself the Akkadian, the emperor of the Assyrian Empire. And he, so until then, the Assyrian Empire had been led by Assyrians. Now he's a Chaldean leader. And um, he moves the capital from Nineveh up on the Tigris River to Babylon on the Euphrates River. He builds the city of Babylon, and um, it becomes known as the Babylonian Empire after the name of his capital, which was Babylon. Its language was Assyrian, like the Assyrian Empire. He essentially took over the entire Assyrian Empire, which at the time stretched from eastern Turkey all the way to India. It was a very large empire, and he essentially has taken over the empire by capturing the capital and becoming king of the empire. Anyway, Nebuchadnezzar decides that he is going to expand the Assyrian Empire, and he particularly decides that he's going to capture Judea. So, in um, seven years into his 
sorry, uh, one year later, in 3320 or um, 439 BCE, Nebuchadnezzar, um, Nebuchadnezzar um, uh, attacks Jerusalem, which at the time was under control of Egypt. <coughs> and um, he takes, as he would do, as uh, he takes a number of the children, the princes, as hostages. This was a um, this was a um, new technique that Nebuchadnezzar had introduced that he wasn't going to take any chances of another vassal king under him capturing Babylon. So he took hostages of all the kings and princes throughout what was now the Babylonian Empire. He took hostages from every single leadership family, from every single royal family. And that way, when you do anything, your kids get killed. So he was going to take hostages, and then ideally those children then grow up in Babylon, become loyal to Babylon, eventually they go out and become kings of these tribes or these kingdoms, and uh, they're still loyal to Babylon. So he takes a number of hostages, takes a lot of the gold and silver from the temple, and um, he <coughs> and he leaves. Um, now, now during this time, as Nebuchadnezzar has comes to Jerusalem, and as he's attacking Jerusalem, um, Jeremiah is the prophet in Jerusalem, and Jeremiah um, has been telling, warning them for years that this is going to happen. God is going to soon destroy Jerusalem. The Babylonians are coming. And they are going to destroy Jerusalem. He warns them. He had been warning them for many, many years. And as the Nebuchadnezzar is coming to Jerusalem, Jeremiah tells his student, his disciple, his name is Baruch, Baruch son of Neriah, and he tells Baruch to write a book called Lamentations, called Echa. It's, uh, the original book was three chapters, and in three chapters, a poem um, written each chapter the three different poems about the terrible suffering that we will experience in the um, upcoming destruction of Jerusalem. And he writes this poem. And um, he writes this poem and publishes the poem. In other words, has people copy the poem. And it spreads around Jerusalem. And it's describing the horrible things that are going to happen. And so... Um, the king um, at the time, uh, um, uh, the, ki the king at the time, Yehoiakim, is furious about king, uh, the prophet Jeremiah's poem, and he, that Jeremiah keeps saying how Jerusalem is going to be destroyed because you don't change if you don't change your ways, and he um, he feels that Jeremiah is demoralizing the people, and so he has Jeremiah thrown into jail. They bring the poem to him. And he wants to show how much he wants to um, stop demoralizing the people. So he takes the poem and he tears it up. Now the poem of Echa, this book of Echa, that this book of three poems that Jeremiah had written has God's name on it. And we're going to talk about this next week. You don't let it tear God's name. Not only does he tear it up, he throws it into the fire. And it burns. Um, showing his um, dislike or disregard for, um, for the prophet Jeremiah and for all of Jeremiah's predictions of gloom of all the horrible things that are going to happen if the people don't change their ways. And so Jeremiah is stuck now um, in jail 
um, in, in Jerusalem. Uh, meanwhile, Nebuchadnezzar comes, captures Jerusalem, takes these royal hostages, takes gold and silver from the temple. Yehoiakim now under the reign of is now under the reign of um, Babylon. Now Judea has gone from being part of the Egyptian Empire to being part of the Babylonian Empire. He's under the reign of Babylon, but he always hopes that maybe he can enlist Egypt's aid to um, to um, throw off the yoke of Babylon and um, to rebel against Babylon and become independent. After all, Judea served as a buffer zone between Assyria and Egypt. So he um, contacts the Egyptians and gets them to agree to support him in a uh, rebellion against Babylon. He rebels against Babylon. The Buchanetzer come. This is in 3327 or 432 BCE, seven years after the Babylonian capture. The Buchanetzer lays siege. Uh, uh, so uh, the the lays lays, uh, lays lays siege to Jerusalem. Puts down Jehoiakim's rebellion very quickly, and has Jehoiakim killed. And um, <coughs> then he decides to make. Yeho then, and he makes, instead of Jehoiakim, he makes Ye his son Jehoiakim king. Turns out Egypt was not as reliable as they thought they would be. And this is something that they see again and again. Egypt turns something that, that his King Chizkiyahu, when fighting the Assyrians 100 years earlier, had discovered, over 100 years earlier, had discovered that um, you can't, can't trust the Egyptians. Can't rely on them. And uh, Jeremiah calls them a mishenet kane, a... Um, a soft rod. You have like a, uh, a rod that could bend it soft. So they're a soft rod. You bend them. They're, 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 you can't trust these, the Egyptians. So, um, so anyway, so Nebuchadnezzar now places, he's killed Jehoiakim, the king that was originally uh, put in place by Pharaoh and has rebelled against him. And he makes his son Jehoiakim, Yeh uh, Ye sorry, Jehoiachin, or also known as Yehaniah, he makes his, Yehoiakim was the father, Yehoiachin is the son, he makes Yehoiachin king. And then he goes back to Babylon. Anyway, he comes back to Babylon, and his advisors tell him, what did you do? The father died, you killed the father, you made the son king. The son's now going to rebel against you, right? The son's got his father's genes. Right? He's going to do the same thing that his father did. Remember, they're at the very edge of your empire, they're far away from Babylon, it, was, it took a long time to move militaries back and forth. And they have Egypt just south of them that is your biggest nemesis that are going to defend them. So why did you make him, why did you make the son king? Nebuchadnezzar says, agrees to his mistake, recognizes his mistake, and heads right back to Jerusalem with his army. And um, takes... Yehoiachin or Yehania, the king, the son that he had made king, and um, installs instead a third son of Ye King Yoshiahu. Remember the first son, uh, the first son, Yehoiachaz, had been made king by the people, and Pharaoh, um, Pharaoh had him killed and made his son Yehoiachin uh, king. Then um, Pharaoh, um, Nebuchadnezzar had now killed Yehoiachin and made the son king, but now he makes another brother, another, bro another son of King Yoshiahu, or Yehoiachin's uncle, Sidkiyahu, his original name was um, 
Matanya, but he makes him, um, he changes his name to Tzipiyahu, and he makes him king over Jerusalem. Still from the same family, third brother becomes king. The nephew, meanwhile, and the son of the previous king, Yehoyachin, is taken back to Babylon in chains. But Nebuchadnezzar decides to do better than that. <coughs> Not only does he take Yehoyachin back to Babylon in chains, firstly, he sacks the temple, takes all the gold and silver and everything of value he could find in the temple, and he takes everything of value he could find in the David's palace that was 400 years old and had held the king's treasuries, takes it all back with him. They'll never have any money now to rebel against him. Not only that, he gathers all the leading priests, Kohanim, that led the temple, all the leading um, nobles of Judea, and all the leading scholars, the high courts, the um, prophets, all the leading scholars of Israel, religious leaders of Israel, as well as all of the wealthy people. 10,000 Jewish leaders from Judea, and he takes them all back to Babylon with him. Now they're far away, they're near him, far away enough from Judea to cause any trouble. Only the common folk, there's only common folk left under the reign of King Tzipkiyo. He hopes with only common folk, without <coughs> the wealthy people, without all the leaders, without, every, without these religious leaders, without the political leaders, they're not going to be able to do very much. That's his hope. And he installs King Tzipkiyahu uh, as king of Jerusalem. Now, as we're going to see, it's felt at the time like a terrible thing. Jews are, I mean, all the, the Jewish leadership is taken now to Babylon. They're left the rest of leaders, the, uh, uh, the, and um, the, the people are, are alone. But as we'll see soon, it turns out to actually, in the long term, it turns out to be a blessing in disguise. So now, what happens is, in, um, um, so what happens is in 336 BCE, or we're now at 420, sorry, 330, sorry, 3336 in the Jewish counting, or 423 BCE, which is, I wrote the numbers down, I would have messed up. <laughs> so 432 BCE, um, sorry, 423 BCE, um, King Tzidkiyahu, um, 11 years into his, um, 11 years into his reign, decides to, sorry, nine years into his reign, decides to rebel against the Babylonians, once again relying on Egyptian promises to support them in a battle against the Babylonians. Um, King Tzidkiyahu decides to rebel against the Babylonians and um, again tried to declare independence from uh, Babylon. Jeremiah had warned him not to do it. Don't do it. God is going to punish, is set on punishing Judea. You are setting Judea up for destruction. You're setting Jerusalem up for destruction. So Nebuchadnezzar comes and lays siege to Jerusalem as Jeremiah is walking. Now, I, I forgot to mention when Tzidkiyahu became king, unlike his brother Yehoiakim, who was very wicked, Tzidkiyahu was a righteous man, Tzidkiyahu freed Jeremiah. Jeremiah had been in jail under the previous king. Tzidkiyahu frees Jeremiah. Jeremiah is now free to walk around Jerusalem. Um, and so um, Jeremiah calls on Tzidkiyahu and on Israel to surrender. Surrender to the Babylonians or they will destroy Jerusalem. People are, of course, very upset at Jeremiah. Tzidkiyahu does not allow them to touch him. He's under the king's protection. 
Nebuchadnezzar's siege of Jerusalem, and and Tzidkiyahu calls the Egyptians as promised, and this time the Egyptians actually come. The Egyptians start heading out towards Jerusalem to defend Jerusalem from the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar hears the Egyptians are on their way. He's not going to wait as sitting ducks for the Egyptians to come to Jerusalem. He heads out towards Egypt. The uh, Pharaoh gets word that the entire Babylonian army is on their way towards Egypt. He gets cold feet and turns around. <laughs> Meanwhile, Nebuchadnezzar had left. The Egyptians were on their way to save them. Uh, the Egyptians were going to vanquish the Babylonians. Jews in Jerusalem, meanwhile, rejoiced. And they told Jeremiah, um, <coughs> they told Jeremiah, um, you are, uh, they told Jeremiah, you're a false prophet. Um, see, it didn't come true. They left. Jeremiah says, they are coming back. Whoever can leave Jerusalem, escape, because there will soon be a big slaughter in Jerusalem. Get out of here. Whoever could leave, now there's no siege. Everyone leave Jerusalem. And Jeremiah himself attempted to leave Jerusalem. Jeremiah is caught trying to leave Jerusalem. Um, and Jeremiah is thrown into a pit of uh, cement or of mortar um, so where he would slowly sink in. And uh, he's saved. There's a, um, there's a fellow, Evet Kushi, his name is. He's called an um, Ethiopian slave who um, saves Jeremiah and um, say pulls him, gets, has him, runs to King Tzidkiyahu, runs to King and says, they threw Jeremiah into the pit. And so he, Jeremiah agrees to, uh, um, Tzidkiyahu instructs they pull him out, but Tzidkiyahu, to compromise against all the people who wanted Jeremiah dead, um, leaves Jeremiah in jail um, for the duration of what now is a siege. Nebuchadnezzar comes back and the day that he comes back and besieged Jerusalem was today, the 10th of Tevet, in the year um, 423 BC. So that would be in about 2017. So it's about 2441 years ago. So uh, 2140 years ago. So, sorry, 2440 years ago. So um, the Bukhaneta um, besieges Jerusalem, and now during this siege, despite the fact that Jerusalem had very strong walls and very strong defenders, the siege was brutal. There was no food was coming in or out of Jerusalem. They had access to water um, through the cave of the Shiloh that you could go to. There's a kind of underground cave that they dug that goes out of Jerusalem to be able to get water, but there was no food. And all of the prophecies of Jeremiah began to be fulfilled of the horrible suffering and starvation that will be in Jerusalem, the curses and the prophecies that are found in the Torah of Moses of what will happen if you do not follow God's will are all of the terrible starvation and famine were all fulfilled during these horrible two and a half years of um, the siege of Jerusalem. And finally, after two and a half years of a siege, um, Nebuchadnezzar finally manages to capture Jerusalem, um, as you can, since it took two and a half years, unlike the previous times, clearly before Tzidkiyahu had rebelled, unlike <coughs> his brother, he had <coughs> thought it through and built Jerusalem's defenses and um, trained an army and was very, very well prepared. It wasn't enough against the Babylonian onslaught. And so um, 
And finally, in the year 3338 or 421 BCE, uh, uh, despite Yirmiyahu's constant calls from jail, calling on the people to surrender um, and spare the city, um, Nebuchadnezzar capt um, captures the city on the 17th of Tammuz. They breach the city, and the defenders of Jerusalem retreat to the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount itself is surrounded by a very, very strong wall, um, stone wall. It was very hard to breach. And during that period, um, Nebuchadnezzar and his general, his name was Nebuzaradan, um, slaughtered men, women, children, um, or whoever they found. Um, after a long siege, they were um, in celebration of having finally captured Jerusalem. They slaughtered people um, all over. And then finally, three weeks later, on the 9th of Av, they captured the temple and destroyed the temple itself. It's destroyed. And so now, after 410 years, Solomon's temple um, is now destroyed. Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem is now destroyed. The city itself is burned to the ground. Um, and all of the people of Judea, most of the people of Judea are taken to, are taken away out of Judea in chains. And um, they're all taken as slaves to be sold in Babylon as slaves, which was a punishment for having put up such a brutal resistance. And so, <coughs> um, and so um, the uh, king of Uchanetzar leaves only a handful of Jews, poor Jews left, um, and uh, left in Judea, in what is in Israel, is what, what was called Judea. He leaves only a handful of Jews left, small numbers, and he um, and he appoints a Jew called Gedaliah ben Achikam as the leader, as the governor of what is now no longer an independent state or a vassal state, but now just a province of the Babylonian Empire. And so um, Gedaliah immediately calls on all the fighters that had fled Jerusalem that were hiding out in the hills of Judea um, to immediately put down their weapons and he gets them one by one to put down their weapons and to um, and to join him in trying to gradually rebuild the land from the desolation of the destruction and of the war um, it doesn't last very long some two months later one of the um, a um, <coughs> military officer who was uh, who had escaped Jerusalem, called um, Yishmael, comes to Gedaliah as a friend um, and on Rosh Hashanah, on the, holo the new year, comes to Gedaliah to bring in his weapons, like all the other, and all the other military commanders were doing that had escaped Jerusalem. And um, people had warned him that this Yishmael is out to get you. Gedaliah ignored their warnings. He said, don't worry, everything will be okay. And then on Rosh Hashanah, at their Rosh Hashanah dinner, Yishmael gets up with his men who were there, and Gedaliah had invited them to join him for dinner, and gets up with his men, and they assassinate Gedaliah. Assassinate Gedaliah. And so we fast not on Rosh Hashanah, but the day after Rosh Hashanah to commemorate that. Um, the Jews that are left in Israel now don't know what to do. The Babylonian emperor, when he hears that they assassinated the governor that he had just appointed, will be furious and may kill all the Jews that are left. They turn to Jeremiah and say, Jeremiah, what should we do? Jeremiah had stayed behind in Israel. And Jeremiah says, Jeremiah says, God says to continue, go back home, continue, go back, rebuild your homes, rebuild your, replant your fields, go back home, don't worry about the king, don't flee. 
If you flee, you will be caught and killed. And uh, they don't heed the words of Jeremiah, and they go down to Egypt, where they're out of the reach of humans and tormentors. Um, the Jeremiah goes with them as a leader. He feels that he can't forsake his people. He goes with them down to Egypt. He warns them not to follow the Egyptian evil ways. They do. A um, couple years later, only seven years later, in 3346 or 413 BCE, Nebuchadnezzar finally captures his prize, which was Egypt. Finally makes it to Egypt and captures Egypt, and Egypt now becomes just another state in the growing Babylonian Empire. Um, Egypt, uh, and all the when Nebuchadnezzar captures Egypt, all the Jews that had fled to Egypt are all murdered by the Babylonians. Meanwhile, though, during this period, the Jewish slaves, most, most Jews were taken from Judea as slaves and brought back to Babylon. They come to Babylon, and in Babylon, there is a very large group of Jews that had been taken 12 years earlier in the first exile, 10,000 Jewish leaders, businessmen, um, successful people had been brought to Babylon as free men and had settled in, had been settled by Nebuchadnezzar in the city of Babylon and in, in the region. And now, as tens of thousands of Jews are brought back enslaved to Babylon, they are their brethren, look out for them, they free them, they purchase them and free them, or gradually purchase them and free them, they help them get started, help them purchase lands, and within a couple years, there is a thriving, successful Jewish community in Babylon. The religious leaders had already made it to Babylon, including Ezekiel, and many other religious leaders had been brought to Babylon also 12 years earlier. There was already a strong, there was already a strong religious presence with yeshivas and courts and um, everything that they needed for a religious life in Babylon. And Jews now settle in Babylon, which becomes, um, the, which is the largest Jewish community from this period for many, many years until after the Arab conquest, Babylon becomes the center of Jewish life. And so where Jews uh, essentially have, so what happens is, um, i just give you a quick rundown of what happens afterwards, after this, horror, this story of the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, what happens is Nebuchadnezzar is king for quite some, quite a number of years, um, but after 55 years as king, in 395 BCE, according to our traditions, Nebuchadnezzar dies. His son, Evil Merodech, becomes emperor. Now, Evil Merodech, has his he didn't get along with his father too well, and had actually, before he became emperor, was in jail. His father had imprisoned him. After his father died, he was let out of jail and made king. In jail, he met another king. He met King Yehoyachin, or Yehaniah who had been exiled, the son of the previous king, who had been made king for, by Nebuchadnezzar very shortly, and then for a short period, then Nebuchadnezzar went back and made his uncle king instead. The son had been brought to Babylon and uh, thrown in jail. And, um, and he had been in jail for 37 years. And now, Abil Merodach, his good friend, son of Nebuchadnezzar, suddenly becomes king. So, Abil Merodach invites frees Yehoyachin from jail and appoints him as prince of the Jews in Babylon, grants him autonomous powers. Jews had now settled in many, um, bought many lands, and built agricultural towns all along the Euphrates River, and he makes him 
essentially king of the Jews in Babylon in a position <coughs> called Reish Galuta, or the Latin term is Exilarch. And um, Yehoiakim remains in his position as Reish Galuta, which is a position that remains in place um, for many, many, many years, up to some 1,400 years, until about the 10 hundreds. There was this Jewish autonomy in Babylon along the Euphrates.